Welcome. Today we're talking to Michael Frazes from Frazes Capital Partners. Relatively early stage fund with three years track record, but with an outstanding performance in 2020. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Appreciate it. My pleasure. 108% in 2020, one of the most difficult years or difficult markets there have been. How did you achieve that? Uh, look, I think there's a couple of things we did right. So performance in 2020 probably depended on two things, I think. First one was what did you do in March? You know, when things were selling off, how did you react to that? Um, did you panic? Did you sell? And it's not necessarily panic. Did you just sensibly reduce exposure um, at what turned out to be the worst possible time? Uh, we kind of made a rule that, you know, as markets were selling off, that would, if we sold a dollar of stock, we'd buy a dollar of stock or something else, which meant we're looking for opportunities at the right time. We certainly made mistakes that are, uh, probably cost us a bit by the end of the year, um, but just that simple kind of idea that we're going to stay 100% long ended up outperforming, you know, all the long short strategies, all the people that managed that risk, um, all the people that swung around their exposures, and that really comes from experience and also studying previous crashes. You know, a lot of people look at past crises and they think the lesson is, you know, equities can drop 50% at any time, um, and that's most certainly true. You know, the real lesson of those crises is you don't sell it when they drop 50%. You, know? sure. you stay you're selling, you're selling at the bottom. Yeah, and the long-term investors are always the ones that end up winning. Uh, so that was the first thing we did. The second thing was is, you know, your investment performance depended on how much you invested in companies of the future, technology, life sciences, where you're on top of those things. Um, because it's often like the traditional, you know, industries of several hundred, that were founded several hundred years ago, they kind of look cheap, but they're very fragile. You know, they're leveraged, they're very low margins, and they're roughly the same size year on year. So when a crisis hits, you know, a 10% drop in revenues can wipe out their whole profits. Um, whereas there's a whole class of companies that can grow irrespective of, of macroeconomic conditions. So we saw a lot of that in 2020, where a lot of future companies or future-proof companies, can you give us some examples of some? Because yeah, a I mean, lot uh, of people say that we're in a really risky area, and we'll come to that important, in a moment. Yeah. In the important point on that is, is those two things that I said, staying invested and your exposure to, to fast-growing tech companies drove performance in 2020, but it was actually longer than that. It was also you know, the last three years, five years, 10 years, um, already so far in 2021. You know, your investment performance, if you're a large cap, you're a stock picker, depending on did you get the FANG stocks, for example, like were you long or short those or underweight those? So these are like almost universal, not necessarily universal things, but things that have held for very long periods of time and we expect will be the same going forward. Um, on the risk point, yeah, it looks like we have a, a risky portfolio. We're 100% invested almost, you know, through thick and thin um, in companies that, you know, people are, are kind of risky in the sense that they're, they're trying to achieve things that haven't been done before in new areas in their own fields. Um, but last year really showed you it's actually more risky not to be in those sometimes. You know, if we've got, we, we run a portfolio of 50 stocks roughly, um, and then most of them are growing over 100%. I think our median organic growth rates, you know, just below triple digits. Um, that's organic growth rate. You know, so if you think we've got 50 companies, you know, with average market cap over 10 billion growing 100% plus, you know, not owning those is probably worse. You know, GDP was down for most of last year. It's usually flat, maybe moving around low single digits. You know, in that environment, if, if a large company is growing 100%, it's taking that revenue from somewhere else. It's just kind of, if you're not with the winners, you're almost certainly with the losers. Uh, and that's kind of what we saw in 2020, but you could also draw that out, you know, in the previous periods as well. And we suspect in the future. 
So how do you make sure that that continues? I mean, um, you'd be a brave man to say you're going to do another 108% in 2021. Mm. You may well do it, and that's terrific. But I presume that's not completely normal, or do you have that sort of expectation to be you know, well into double digits, 20, 30% per annum? Yeah, I mean, we have a... We have a, an ambition, it's an ambition, you know, to kind of hit 25% a year. Yeah. If we do that, you increase your, your capital by 10 times over 10 years. Again, it's, it's an audacious goal, but you know, we're, we're tracking well ahead of that now. Um, look, our companies are growing at several, like multiples of that, several times that. Uh, and that's really what kind of helped us last year, is by the end of the year, you know, Mark swung around so much, there's so many twists and turns. At the end of the day, they had twice as many users, revenues were twice as high. That was like a pretty common um, feature of our, our portfolio companies. Can you give some examples of those companies? We always want companies that are adding users and growing every single day. So we'll r rigorously test, you know, not just not just quarterly updates, but also web traffic, reviews, things like that, to make sure all our companies are on track. So in March last year, to give an example, there was a huge shift in behaviour and some companies were doing really well started doing badly and vice versa. We made the decision that we'd stick with the winners only. So we only invested in companies that were accelerating in that environment. So examples of that would be e-commerce. So we picked companies like, uh, I guess, C, Mercado Libra, you know, the Amazon of Southeast Asia and South, South America, respectively, um, that were growing well over 100%. And these are large, you know, tens of billions of dollar market cap. Again, sucking all those revenues from other parts um, in their respective regions, like you really wanted to be on the right side of that. I think we ended up with, you know, seven or eight e-commerce positions. Um, Digital Health was another one that was also rapidly accelerating. So we've got companies like Livongo, Teladoc. Uh, there's a company recently listed here called Dr. Care Anywhere. It's also growing at those exceptional rates. Uh, and that's probably like the, the philosophy that we took then. Where we only wanted companies that are accelerating and growing in the crisis. It's exactly how we're operating now. So to go back to your question about, you know, what thing we'll do over the next year, you know, we will maintain that philosophy of sticking only with winners and only with companies that are growing not necessarily triple digits, but as close to 100% as possible. Because we think that's like the best, the best guide to the fact that a company is doing something special. So you would look at it as saying that high risk is not being in those companies rather than a lot of traditional managers would say being in companies that uh, have such high PEs as a lot of them do. Mm. Uh, is a risky policy, but no, your, your, your yeah. philosophy seems to be, which I don't necessarily disagree with, that not being in the high growth area is actually high risk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, if you want low risk, go to cash, bonds, or something. We're talking within, within the equity space. If you're going to allocate to equities, you 100% want to be with the, the side of the companies that are that are taking market share, disrupting, growing. You do not want to be in the in the 95% of companies that are slowly losing market share. Or roughly the same, the same, same price year after year, same size, you know. Because then when these crises come and everything drops thirty percent, or, or more or less, but you know, everything takes a huge hit. You know, tech took a huge hit as well. But you know, a year later, these companies were twice the size, and the share prices followed. Um, whereas those kind of companies that are more or less the same size, firstly, they still took the, they still took a huge hit um, in twenty twenty. Uh, they didn't have that same dynamic of being bigger, better, and stronger. Uh, and that that's something that's going to continue and it's just going to be and I, I don't necessarily know nobody can predict the future we don't know which industries it will be we don't know which companies it will be but i can almost guarantee you the ones that you know grow fivefold in size and increase revenues gross profit dollars margins 
they'll do substantially better than cheap companies that are shrinking slowly, or roughly the same size, that are, that are completely dependent on the economic cycle. Um, that was the case last year, and we suspect the case going forward as sure. well. There's a lot of talk at the current time about the potential for the market to be in bubble territory. You know, we're, we're seeing those sorts of themes come through in, in online newsletters and, and uh, all sorts of discussions. Do you think the market's in bubble territory? Uh, I think people have been saying that for about 10 years now. <laughs> um, but these companies like the are real. Who's, who's, who's picked six yeah. in the last two recessions. Exactly. So the thing about something like Tesla, everyone said it was overvalued, it went from 2,000 cars to 500,000. So even if, it, if, if the share price dropped, you know, they achieved on a fundamental basis, like a spectacular outcome. And if you look at all these tech companies, generally they've done something similar. So Afterpay is one that people, well, your, your listeners, readers, um, watchers will, will be familiar with. You know, they maintained a 100% growth rate, not in share price, so they did do that, um, but in users, you know, in revenues. So the actual company grew. Now in terms of bubble, you know, we're, we're in a really interesting moment now. Like, I, if I had to guess, and our strategy is not dependent on it, if I just had to, like, you know, just guess, I'd say we will get there. Because, you know, we've got, a, we've got all the vaccines are out. Um, we've got a full-blown recovery in many parts of the world. Coronavirus cases are plummeting. And then you've got interest rates at zero, people pumping, both in, in monetary stimulus. They're still buying $120 billion, I think, of, uh, of adding $120 billion of liquidity a month. And you've got an almost $2 trillion stimulus still to come you know if you think about the environment we're in where stocks are um and kind of taking all those factors and all that spending that's yet to come you know that's a really bullish outcome and having like such a bullish you know prospects for the next year in terms of what 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 governments and central bankers are doing combine that with where stocks are you could actually end up in bubble territory but i don't think we're there yet I would agree with you i mean not i'm not the expert on the markets you're the expert mm. on the market but i think uh, the thing that's going to burst the bubble is an increase in interest rates and there's that's not on the horizon at all because there's no inflation on the horizon but if there's inflation coming through and there is talk about inflation coming through from some areas in the longer term horizon particularly China then that's the potential but I would agree with you that's probably a couple of years away yeah well, definitely I mean you just have to listen to what policymakers are saying I mean, I think the analogy I draw is, so I spent, you know, eight years in England, like studied there, worked there, and I found it in Greece as well. And so think about having the last, the last crash, 2008, 2009, then the British government brought in austerity, sacked public servants, cut back spending, you know, local arts programs got, you know, given the axe, and Britain stagnated. You know, look at Greece, and that cut budgets, you know, heavily, cut pensions, sacked people, you know, my, my family's on the islands, they went from three boats serving water to the, providing water to different islands to one, so sometimes water would run out. And that was horrible, you know, that was worse than the Great, like significantly worse than the Great Depression of the 1930s for Greece. That was austerity and that was fiscal tightening. That's what actually scares us, that's what scares me, is seeing that. But I didn't see it anyway, I didn't see any politicians talking about tightening. There's like almost a coalition of left and right. They're uniting with regulators, central bankers, everyone, everyone is basically supporting the system. And that's great, you know, we just had the worst shock and the fastest recovery. I think we'll all agree it's a good thing that that happened. Um, we, I just don't see I just don't see that tightening or that or that austerity movement. Like nobody's really talking about that at the no, moment. No. But people are talking about bubble because they're scared of market values. I think they're possibly 
talking up the bubble, whereas in fact there's nothing that's going to burst the mm. bubble at the current time when there's so much stimulus and so much easy credit. Yeah. And I think there's, you've got, you got to look at time in these as well. So we've made the mistake, our most consequential decisions, as no doubt most people's most consequential decisions are the things you sell. So something's 50% ahead of where it should be. The price has just run up. You know, we have a number of, you know, we're up 25, 30% already this year. You know, so you have a lot of things. Our companies haven't grown 25, 30% in two months. You know, they just haven't. So we're kind of ahead of things. But almost the worst thing you can do in those situations is sell, because then you, then you lose the position. You know, these companies are growing at 80, 90, 100, 120% a year. Um, the smart thing is actually to compound that two, three, four years in a row. You know, that's where you create real value. Um, think about the bubble bursting, what people are really talking about are 30, 40, 50% contracted in multiples. You know, again, that could happen at any time. Could happen, we could be at the top now and we get that. Um, but by far the dominating factor will be that, you know, 100% growth over multiple years in a row. You talked about not selling companies even though they've possibly got ahead of themselves. When do you sell companies? When do you cut positions from your portfolio? Yeah, look, most of the time we sell to buy something else, in which case you'll go through and just find the weakest link. You know, what are you, what are you least convicted on? Uh, but really, we usually sell because something has slowed down. You know, we think if a company's... We kind of do things in reverse. We don't try and figure out what's going to work. We try and figure out what we can prove is working now. I've got this idea that we have no opinions. Like, don't be like, people can use this payment option or they're going to spend their time using this streaming service. Just see what they're doing, you know, use the evidence. Um, and so when those statistics deteriorate, that's when we generally exit certain things. Um, the problem is, is, if you're going, we underwrite things over five years and we expect things to go up at least four times over those five years, um, which assumes big slowdown in growth, big contraction in multiple, can we still hit that four times? The reason we pick four is we actually just we want to hit three in five years. We need to live like that margin of safety that everybody likes to talk about. Um, to do that, if you're going for 200, 300, 400% over five years, it doesn't make, to sell, make sense to sell something's 20 or 30% of a value. In fact, that guarantees you'll never achieve that, that greater outcome. Just constantly be taking small wins and, and you know, plodding along, which is not really what we're all here for. You know, if we're going to take equity risk, we want that beautiful compounding over many, many years at as high a rate as possible. That's kind of what we're trying to do. Well, you certainly achieved it last year, Michael. Well done and good luck for the next year. Thank you. And beyond. Appreciate it. That's three to four years. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you. That was Michael Frazes, a young man. I'm an old man, so I can call him a young man, but a young man who's obviously got a real passion for what he does, and it's certainly proving itself to be successful. Thank you.